everyone, and welcome to Chapter Tactics. This is your 40k podcast that focuses on playing Warhammer 40k competitively at all levels of the game. Today we're going to be talking about 8th edition. I'm going to take a walk down memory lane. Should be a very fun episode, and really quick, I'm going to put the question today at the beginning of the episode. What do you think about 8th edition before you leave into the internet verse? Because I know so many of you click on this and then move on. That's totally okay, but... You know, go go in the comment section down below, like if you like the video, and let me know what you think about 8th edition. So, I did bring two co-hosts with me, two wonderful co-hosts who have been around for many, many ad- an edition, uh, and that is Mr. Sean Morgan. Hey, I'm real excited for the release of 8th edition. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, and then finally, the Archon himself, Mr. Scarry. I never left, I've always been here, and I always <laughs> will. <laughs> Right on. Now, uh, you might be wondering, Pablo, Ninth Edition is around the corner. You're absolutely right, listener. Thank you for coming here and listening to the podcast. Please subscribe. I wanted to talk about Eighth Edition because it was arguably the most important or the most uh, the most impactful edition in 40k history. I'm not a 40k history buff, so I might not be able to make. I can't definitely say that for sure. However, it was the most impactful edition to me, and so I wanted to talk about it uh, kind of in retrospect. There were, we had three years of 8th edition. We had highs. We had lows. Uh, it was it was a very, very fun edition, I think, in general, and it was also, I think, the most played edition. There were so many new people and old people who came into 8th edition, um, and I think it was one of the best marketing campaigns GW ever did. So we're going to talk about that. And before we get into that, some quick announcements. The first announcement is we're going to be selling that Indominus Crusade box at FrontlineGaming.org. Everyone and their mother is asking about it still. So uh, just remember, go to FrontlineGaming.org. It'll go it'll go for pre-order the Saturday at 10 a.m. that it goes up for uh, order or for pre-order for through GW. So basically, when they say like it's going to go for pre- up for pre-order, it'll be it'll be soon that week that Saturday. Saturday 10 a.m. Boom. That's when everyone gets it. That's when GW gets it. That's when we get it. All that good stuff. So don't miss out on that. Word on the street is, is that it's going to be a very limited box set, and we're never going to see it again. So uh, do not miss your opportunity to grab that. Also, for the future of the podcast, I'm really, really excited. Uh, from now on, uh, this episode, after this episode and on, it's going to be all ninth edition episodes. Um, with the exception of Psych- the Psychic Awakening episode next week, That's it's kind of like a ninth, eighth hybrid um, that's I'm really excited for that episode. We're going to be power ranking all all of the Psychic Awakening books um, in order of you know worst to best and, uh, level and from zero to nine thousand. Zero to nine thousand, uh, and it should be a lot of fun. It should be a good episode. We're going to talk also about the future of all of those factions represented in the Psychic Awakening books and how they're going to translate into Ninth Edition. Should be a lot of fun. We got all of our Psychic Awakening updates. We're, we're getting ready to usher in every faction into 9th edition, and so we're going to do that. We're going to talk about 9th edition power rankings for factions once the rules pop out, and then we'll talk about faction guides and very, very specific things. It should be a lot of fun. Very, very hyped. And then a uh, final announcement. If you, have, if you don't already know, you can sign up for our Patreon. Patrons get access to all sorts of goodies and cool stuff this month uh, for the month of uh, July. We're going to be giving away one Indominus Crusade box. Uh, and then sexy, absolutely. And then this month also, uh, at the end of the month, we draw the winner. The winner gets some new Admech stuff, and if they don't like Admech, we'll get them something else. But that's cool. All of those announcements are out of the way. Let's jump right into the episode. Scary and Sean got a question for you both. Fire away. If you could like grade, <laughs> if you could grade Eighth Edition on a scale of one to ten, one being worst, ten being the best. Where where would you grade it in terms of its overall impact in the game of 40k and enjoyment? Just an overall grade. Quick question on our grading scale. Uh, are, are we ranking it against the other editions that exist, or are we doing this as a theoretical, like, how close to being perfect was it? Um, I think the second question is what I was aiming for. Okay. However, okay. I, I would like to talk about how it ranked up with other editions as well. Sure. I think th- I think that's a big enough subject. We'll tackle it a little bit later in the episode here. But let, let's start out with the second one then. Um, Scary, I'm curious to hear what you think of this. I would grade this edition a solid 8 out of 10. Ooh. Ah, hey. 
<laughs> uh, oh, well, you know. And not only does it mesh well with the number of the editions, <laughs> um, I feel like there was definitely, there's improvements that can be made on the edition. I feel like it's not just the edition that improves. A lot of it has to do with the way that Games Workshop interacts with us as a community. I've spoken about this many a time. Their positive interaction with the community, they're, you know, opening up and really kind of listening to their customer base. Spearheaded the success of the edition. It was, it was a big risky move, like changing the core mechanics of the game so drastically from, you know, 7th edition to 8th. Essentially like blank slating the entire, the entire game. And I think they did an excellent job at, during the years that we played 8th, at finding the, the things that people were using or the things that, you know, didn't exactly work like they wanted them to work and giving us an opportunity to, to like, oh, they fix them or fix them, patch them up or whatever. And now we're on the cusp of a new edition and I can only hope that they've taken that and kind of run with it, right? All the stuff that they've learned since then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, agree, I agree with you. Uh, I think I think overall, Nato 10, I think that's spot on. Uh, Sean, what do you think? I'm I'm pretty close in there. I'd call it a seven or an eight. Um, that like Scarry said, the the big thing was that GW really responded to the community for essentially the first time. Um, this is the first time that we really saw like them address problems uh, in something that could be called uh, close to real time at least. Um, we weren't waiting a year or two years for them to fix something. Or 14 years. <coughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and instead, we're seeing, you know, at worst every six months, and in cases where it seemed more warranted, a, a three-month or even one-month uh, kind of uh, response time. And I think that's really big, um, especially because it wasn't just potential issues for, uh, say, narrative or casual games, but also GW very much responding to the tournament scene, um, which, again, was a huge change from their previous policy where they essentially just pretended it didn't exist. Um, so I, I think GW accepting that and trying to integrate competitive play and narrative play and open play and all the different styles that players play in um, into the game so that they're all viable and they're all things that you can do uh, is not just a, a big step for them as a company, uh, but also did a lot to bring the player base together and sort of like heal some of the divides that had existed for quite a long time. And I think that's a really big move. Yeah. Yeah, Sean, I, I, I agree. I'm, I'm glad you brought up the point of them bringing of them uh, getting more into the competitive scene because mm -hmm. to me, eighth edition was less uh, in a, a, a game edition change and more uh, company edition change. Right. So it's like, yeah, we weren't going into 40 K eighth edition. We we're going into games workshop, second edition, or maybe games workshop, third edition. Um, we really got to see the company grow and really come into its own as a gaming company, as a company mm -hmm. that brought this IP to its listener base and to its consumer base beyond just a, a game beyond just models um i, I thought they did a phenomenal job and i'd actually based off of that looking at at it less as a game as a whole but as kind of a a mentality shift uh because when i think when i think 40k 8th edition i think the full package i don't think just the rule set um, oh, yeah. i'd give it probably like an eight or a nine out of ten easy there were definitely some moments when um putting game rules aside uh where i thought gw could have handled things a lot better uh but overall i think i think maybe like between an eight or a nine out of ten depending on what year of the edition too because there were sure. there were some years that were better than others yeah uh there absolutely. there were absolutely some missteps in eight edition but uh, gw was obviously trying um and their their ability to sort of respond to the community and interact with them um, as shown by their sort of like moving back into the tournament scene and the streaming scene and all that sort of thing, uh, that that really made a difference for a lot of people. I feel and and pulled a lot of people who had basically given up on the game back into it. Yeah, I yeah. remember eighth edition of the uses brought all people back into hobby that I could ever imagine. Absolutely, and it's, and it's created the base of a fantastic 
new dynamic energetic like newer like generation of gamers that are actively collecting playing going to tournaments and getting involved which you know yeah. leads to a healthy just a healthy hobby it's nice to walk into the well when we can walk into the game store but it's nice to like go into the game store or you know have a game and then have like a a, a good variety of people to play against not mm-hmm. just your friends that you play you know campaigns with or narrative games but at a tournament you go in you meet new faces and different faces and you know newcomers that are really good at the game and like they're trying to you know uh, get better at it and stuff and it just it just makes everybody better around the hobby. yeah yeah i agree uh now, kind of moving on from from that, what were some of your favorite things about Eighth Edition uh, for both of you, um, and and not just things that you liked about Eighth Edition, but revolutionary things that things that, and I know you both have been around 40k for a very long time, uh, things that in previous editions you never thought were even feasible, or you never imagined, or you didn't know were on the docket or, or an option. I think for me, it was a abandoning some of the legacy stuff that the game had because 40k has been around for a long time um it was designed back in the the late 80s and we've come a long way since then in terms of game design and gw was kind of struggling to keep up with some of that uh so stuff like getting rid of blast markers which I loved blast markers. They were super cool and thematic, and I had bought a set of them with like Tau emblems and everything on them because they look really cool and they're fun to move around and all that. But good lord, they slowed the game to a crawl and made movement just an absolute pain. Um, so doing stuff like abandoning these old rules that made sense back at the time, but in the modern editions really just kind of caused problems. You know, every, anyone who played those old editions remembers, like, arguing how many guys were caught under a small blast and stuff like that. It's not fun at all. As thematic as they are, it was just bad for the game. Um, and yeah, GW and finally games. admitting that and saying, like, okay, we can move past this now. There's better ways to handle this was a big step. Yeah, 40k hipsters begging GW to bring blast templates back they go and play in, in previous editions. Um, what they need to do is run into a Satan with a 18 inch flamer template uh, that is a D weapon that goes, yeah. oh is that your entire army under this giant D template weapon and they all disappear? What? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and here's the other thing too right <laughs> another thing uh, actually Skari um, we'll, we'll get to you and then I'll, I'll bring my point um Okay, right there, I thought I thought you know you were just gonna skip over me and I was no no of course not <laughs> sad no my favorite thing or I think revolutionary was the change to uh, vehicles and monsters essentially bringing mm. vehicles and monsters into line in terms of profiles I think you know being a long time player you know knowing the vehicles and stuff they had their like own stats and armor facings and all this stuff. And it just simplified the game so much. I remember early editions yeah. of like teaching the game to people and being able to just explain one set of rules and be like, "By the way, the the, the rule set is like ten pages. Like you don't, you don't you don't need to know rocket science to play this game." And mm-hmm. that alone just was a huge change from you know what armor value and what facing and you know what weapon are we shooting at this and that. Like it's, yeah, that's. Yeah, and yeah. Oscar, if you could take a moment to uh, check the Facebook message, but um, it, yeah, I, I I absolutely agree with you. Um, one thing I really loved about Eighth Edition as well, and on that point, is they really opened the door for a lot of things that that showed that they cared about us as a like a player or as a customer, right? Like like uh, Sean mentioned the blast templates. Um, I think the real reason why they took away blast templates was not because it was this weird, arbitrary thing that we always argued about. I think it was because it was something we argued about. Um, they really yeah. went about the entire edition, the entire edition, trying to remove arguments from the tabletop. Right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we're going to write you an FAQ. Like, boom, we're going to try and answer all the FAQs, all your questions, so that you are spending less time arguing and more time playing. Uh, we're going to simplify the all the phases. We're going to simplify everything. We're going to simplify blast templates and shooting weapons. Everything's going to be clear-cut, simple, 
Um, and I know it was under the guise of like, we're trying to speed up the edition. We're trying to streamline the game. Um, but they mentioned in a couple of those old early articles, uh, you know, you and your buds aren't going to argue so much. So you spend less yeah. time arguing, more time playing. Um, and I think that kind of negative play experience, that arguing, if you remember in in sixth oh. and seventh edition, art, that was it was almost like a meme. Like I remember people saying, like you know, you could argue your way out of any rule in forty k. Like mm-hmm. um, the the joke was that you you either four upped it to decide if you were right or wrong, or you just argued and then you just you argued until your opponent gave up and agreed with you. Um, and that was it. And that in eighth edition, that mindset was mostly removed. Uh, because we had FAQs, where everyone knew that this is not okay. Rolling yeah. on a four plus to decide who wins the argument or who's right is is not okay, or arguing in general. So love that. Yeah, um, and then this uh, on a more technical standpoint, the stratagems. Absolutely love that they opened all of that design space for oh, themselves. Oh yes, stratagems were incredible. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Actually, kind of on the the note of stratagems, one of the other things that Aethid did really well that I think other editions struggled with was they made the factions each feel unique from each other. Um, Maybe more so than any of the others, like every faction feels pretty different in 8th edition because of stratagems and sub-faction abilities and stuff like that. Uh, whereas before, you often got a lot of kind of like, well, these guys have 3-up armor and these guys have 4-up armor, and otherwise they're the same. Yeah, um, I, 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 I do agree that the factions feel, felt very more vanilla, especially in like 5th edition. I yeah. felt like, honestly, the Space Marine factions were all basically the same faction. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, now I, I want to get into uh, re- faction specific stuff. Both of you are are known to you're not known to play all the factions. Both of you, especially uh, Mister Archon, Skari, <laughs> uh, you're definitely known for playing your you know Tau and Eldar in Sean's case, Dark Eldar in Skari's case, and I'm a Space Marine player. So, what was your favorite or least favorite thing of switching from seventh to eighth edition about your faction that that GW did? The most, the, the my favorite thing, or least favorite thing, Just, least favorite thing. Yeah, um, either one. The the biggest one was basically taking away all the characters, like the cool characters, and then like oh. you know, you know, there was like a variety of cool characters and stuff that got taken away, and then they basically took away like Trueborn and Blood Brides and like all the like additional. And they changed the way that like Court of the Archon worked and like Beast Packs worked, and they they some of the things that I really enjoyed. And that was always a little weird just to get used to. But as they started releasing more and more of the edition and different like factions had different characters and different different things and you know, it just it made more sense, but at the time it was it didn't it was not warranted. It wasn't really like impressive for it. Yeah. Uh I think for my part, um Tau losing the uh the jump shoot jump where you could you know, move out from behind something, fire, and then make another movement. Because um, they don't even really have it in stratagem form. They have an extremely mediocre version for one sub-faction. Um, and, and that felt like it took away a lot from the uh, the faction as a whole. I kind of understand why it happened. Uh, it was a big time sink. But, uh, you know, denying it to them in any form, even in stratagem form, uh, I think... Made Tau less interesting as a faction because uh, it ma- ma- makes them feel a lot more static. Huh. I I don't think I've ever heard anyone say they miss jumpsuit jump. I mean, I get it. You're a Tau player, and and I agree with you. Um, they they did have a level of mobility in in seventh edition with the the jetpack infantry. I think is what they yeah. were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and and again, I understand why it was removed. Um. It, it takes up a lot of time, and it's a lot of extra rolling often for a uh, not very enjoyable effect. Um, but it, it is unfortunate that they don't really have anything to replace it in terms of their mobility and movement shenanigans, uh, okay. which in previous editions had kind of defined the town. Yeah. Now, uh, Eldar are, in a, I think, a different boat. Um, yes. Eldar are the faction that they didn't actually change much 
from seventh to eighth edition. Like it was, it was almost like what we're going to see with Space Marines in ninth edition. Yeah, which is largely eight, <laughs> Space Marines are at the twilight of the edition, the most powerful thing, similar to in what where Nari were uh, at the twilight of seventh uh, edition. Uh, they're they're not going. They don't look like they're going to be changed. Edition's going to happen, and it's going to be business as usual until something drastic happens for in, in, in Ari's case they got nerfed in the ground and Eldar to a huge extent too um, but what did you think about uh, Eldar as they progressed and how GW handled Eldar from the beginning of the edition to the end of the edition I well, think oh sorry go ahead Skari no it's okay go ahead sir uh, I was going to say, I, I think GW struggles with Eldar a lot of the time, uh, because they're half, they're supposed to be this, like, fast moving but fragile, uh, all specialist units, no generalists. Um, but, but they're also kind of cursed with all of these old unit designs from the early editions of the game, um, which are supposed to be specialists but really aren't. Um, because you get units like Howling Banshees, it's like, well, they're a close combat specialist. Well, they, they really aren't. Um, they're not very good in close combat. They have weak armor, not very strong weapons, not very many attacks, and special abilities that often don't matter. Um, so they're, they're stuck with this weird kind of design space, not just for Craft World Eldar, but to a lesser degree for, for Dark Eldar and whatnot as well. Uh, that they've like struggled to really come to terms in a mechanical way with. Um, and what they've repeatedly ended up with instead is like creating a new mechanic to try and do something interesting and then it turns out to be wildly overpowered and they then have to sort of like backtrack heavily on it, was as happened with Yanari, uh scatter bikes and a bunch of other options that have come out. Um so I I think they have issues with designing the Eldar factions as a whole. Um and they think they're getting closer, but they still are struggling a lot. Uh, Scar, you had something to add to that? No, I think uh, Sean summed it up uh, pretty pretty good. Is that they 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 just like, like a pendulum when it comes to Eldar. It's like one way amazing, other way terrible. One way amazing, and it's but as uh, you know, as we like to say, it's um it's a nice way to to kind of like keep. Eldar players on their toes. <laughs> well, oh. and the really weird part is, like, everyone always has this uh, this perception of, like, they'll make something super good and then they'll make it worthless, which is sort of true, but Eldar have been on the upswing of the pendulum since early 6th edition. Yeah. Um, I don't think that Eldar have been truly bad for two full editions. Yeah, the, uh, which is pretty incredible. Yeah, they're getting close. <laughs> they, they got close in eighth at the end of eighth edition. Yeah, but even even now, like Eldar aren't bad. No, they're just no, no longer right. the clearly predominant top dog. I think if we were to like talk to anybody who um, does stats, aka Mister Falcon, hmm. um, you know, we could definitely see that. Like a lot of the factions, uh, especially towards the end of Eighth Edition, were quite even. Like not like crazy. Yeah. There wasn't like a crazy disparity between, them, including Eldar. You know, Eldar traditionally being an army that just likes to punch you so hard and you stay down because it can't mm -hmm. take a hit. So that sort of like is reflected in the fact that a lot of the times they do better when they go first and they kind of shoot people off the table. Yeah. Yeah, they they've definitely been in a, a an unusual place through much of eighth edition. And as much as I played them, I often kind of like lamented their GW's lack of a coherent design philosophy there, because, you know, six airplanes wins, but it isn't necessarily very fun. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um uh I think they they are a codex they went from being a codex which was really powerful to a codex that really had to lean on its more powerful strategies and units. Yeah. Um, now, speaking of progressing throughout the entire edition, uh, one thing I actually really hate, I'm going to say one thing that I liked and one thing that I disliked. One thing I liked about 8th edition as it progressed was Forge World's slow dissension into irrelevance. It, 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 was a, it was amazing. I know that's really mean to say, but 
there was a an a Facebook post I put out a long time ago in sixth edition or late early seventh late sixth edition, and it got over five hundred comments in like two hours <laughs> on the competitive forty crew group. And the the question was simple: was should we ban Forge World? <laughs> yeah, um, and it it was just it was an even split. Half of the people were like, "No, you're crazy! I'm gonna play with my toys." And the other half of the people were like, "Yes, the rules are bad." They just don't write good rules for their models, um, and when you when you're talking about a specific part of your game, whether it should be banned or not, uh, it shouldn't be fifty fifty. Like like imagine <laughs> if McDonald's, if half of the people who went to McDonald's were like, let's ban McDonald's. Like could you <laughs> like uh, you know like McDonald's would be like, uh oh, we're doing something wrong here. We lost half of our customer base, right? So. Um, that just showed where Forge World was, um, in terms of uh, the player base and how people viewed it. Uh, and then in seventh, it got worse. Uh, with the warp spider, um, the the detachment formation with the forty five warp spiders yeah. that Alex Harrison lovingly put on, into our laps with the Scathatch Wraith Knight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you had the Fire Raptor. You had all these these issues. These Bedab War characters. Eighth edition put all those into an index and nerfed most of them. Just... <laughs> nerfed 95% of them which means 5% of them still were going wild on tournaments yes which which I, I thought was a huge improvement I loved the Forge World indexes in the beginning and I think yeah. that if they had been done properly with with regular releases and a team that actually tried to that actually tried to balance them regularly like yeah. what we got with GW rules I think we would have been fine but instead what we got was uh, every year, chapter approved changes about balanced the points for the better. Uh, Forge World quickly <laughs> became kind of irrelevant, and at the end of the eighth edition, the last LVO, the Whirlwind Scorpius was the only really egregious model, and even then, it got. Do well, you, do uh, you uh, remember <laughs> what the Leviathan Dreadnought does? I was just about to say. I was just about to get to Chaplain Dreadnoughts and Leviathan Dreadnoughts. Yeah. I actually think that they're the byproduct of Space Marines more than being Forge World models. I, I, I get that they're, yeah. they're broken Forge World models. I get that. But they, GW could have easily just put out a, a character Dreadnought or made Space Wolves good, and we would have had the same issue. Like it, well, The thing that made the yeah. Chaplain Dreadnought <laughs> broken wasn't that it was a, a Dreadnought or a Forge World model. It was that it was a character vehicle. Uh, and then ditto on the Leviathan Dreadnought. Although the Leviathan Dreadnought was broken Forge Worldness as well. I'm, I'm willing to throw the Leviathan Dreadnought yeah. On there as the la- Forge World's last pedestal. Uh, the, of well, the Iron Hands, Leviathan. Like, Excuse me. Yeah. You know, the Iron like <laughs> Black like the Leviathan Dreadnoughts. <laughs> the Leviathan Dreadnoughts, good and all. And then, you know, depending on what they do in Ninth Edition with points, you know what I mean? The fact that it can shoot in combat now and stuff, ridiculous. Mm. Yeah. However, <laughs> making an invincible Leviathan Dreadnought, that, I don't care what yeah. Forge World model it is. It, if it's invincible. <laughs> and I think that that does kind of showcase the problem with Forge World, where you saw these models like wildly fluctuate between completely useless and so utterly dominant that almost nothing else could measure up to them, simply because the, the Forge World rules writers weren't in the same building or on the same continent or maybe even the same planet as the GW <laughs> rules writers. Um, they were just, they were doing their own thing and they didn't really have any attempt to touch base with the rest of us. Let's just say yeah. that I'm excited that they have been like, we are going to make the rules of Forge World too. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and that's cool. And, and they, they really, it really came in like, we haven't actually seen a, a Forge World 40k release in a very very long time however yeah. um you did you did see that it did feel like for example the adeptus custodes um models and units and faq those they were good they i think they mm-hmm. gave a lot of life into a, a very very poor suffering faction in adeptus custodes they felt like gw and and, and um they had even before they announced that they had in the past announced that the GW rules team was going to be taking over for Forge World. That was something that they did announce kind of randomly in a Warhammer community article um, yeah. a long time ago. But you could kind of see that in the limited amount of Forge World stuff that did get rules. Now, as Eighth Edition progressed, love that Forge World um, kind of took a backseat. Uh, it became less about 
40k and more about cool models, Apocalypse, uh, and then these specialist games like Blood Bowl. Blood Bowl releases for Forge World were amazing. They're, they're really good. I love all the Blood Bowl releases for Forge World. Now, something I hated, I not hated, something I disliked about 8th edition as it progressed was the clear, the clear, uh, um, uh, incorrect way to, to, uh, chapter approved, basically. Chapter approved was, was the best, the best idea that quickly became the not greatest idea, um, as the edition changed. I love chapter approved as it started. What's I'm up? curious what in particular about chapter approved you dislike because so, like obviously so, the points revisions that, that's fine that's sort of like what they need to do but yeah, what so what about I, the rest of it so i i love i loved I loved when chapter approved came out and I don't think chapter approved should go away but what we saw as the edition progressed was that gw would consistently be behind on the meta which makes sense we've mm. talked about this on the podcast uh it's hard to you know you, you they're always they're never going to be able to print you know cutting on the cutting edge of the meta well, i i get that i i understood that even going into eighth edition um but what i consistently didn't like was the points changes weren't explained in any way so it felt kind of like a half-assed uh half-assed kind of like update or or patch notes or balance changes that other That's games, fair. especially video games, uh, do. Like, for example, Total War Warhammer just had a recent patch update where they went and changed the micro-changes of every single unit and then explained it all. They were like, okay, this, this Goblin Chariot gets one more charge bonus because we felt like it didn't have enough oomph or, or whatever, right? Right. So, I, so more community, like, oh, direct yeah. communication of like, hey, yeah. this is what we're doing and this is why. Yeah, and, and this is something that flew under the radar, um, a phenomenon that kind of flew under the radar, was that it, to people coming into 40k, especially with this big 8th edition hype, chapter approved did not generate a lot of goodwill. You had this yeah. this mission set that, that was uh, kind of like an FAQ or patch notes that they were charging for, that they were throwing... Uh, kind of lazy rules in like like the land raider rules or the GW <laughs> missions or things that people didn't really want and 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 justifying maybe to justify the price tag, um it yeah. it, it felt less like like a a yearly uh like patch notes that that it, I wanted it to be and more like like this is just another product we want to sell you by the way here's the points cost um and it it, it I think it generated a lot of bad will with newer oh. players trying to get into the game as the edition progressed right because you, you if you were a new player especially if you were a player like waffling about buying eight into eighth edition at the beginning of eighth edition could you imagine someone and, and i know there's people like this could you imagine someone who's like oh eighth edition looks cool three years later maybe they after they've finished binging skyrim or whatever um <laughs> they they decide i'm gonna get into 40k i've got money or whatever i'm out of college um you know i i bought like a space brain star collecting box at the beginning of the edition holy shit I have to buy a chapter approved to play the Space Marine Codex that I bought at the beginning of the Oh, my Space Marine Codex that I bought at the beginning of the edition is actually obsolete now because there's a new Space Marine Codex? I don't know. Yeah, that was I'm actually to, one thing. I'm oh, going to use ahead, this sorry. as an example. I had a friend of mine, sorry to interrupt you. I had a, no, I had fine, a friend of mine fine. that uh, picked up some guard, right? Ooh. Um, Late in the edition, right? What do you mean, ooh? <laughs> uh, that was an, that was an you, ooh like like in, I wish Brandon Grant was here. Oh, ooh. oh okay, okay. It sounded more like a ooh, as in ew. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Just go on, go on. Okay, um, and it was funny because we like put together a little like tiny game, like a patrol game or whatever to play, and you know it came to like him rolling morale tests, and he had he was having his commissar shoot guys to automatically oh. pass morale. Which is the rule that's in the codex, right? And yeah. you know, and then yeah. you kind of have to go through this whole thing. Well, you see, <laughs> people yeah. abuse the shit out of this rule, so they have to switch it, and it doesn't actually do that anymore. <laughs> yeah, and you have yeah. to go to this place to get that information, and then oh, and your your ogrins actually cost more points, <laughs> or you I know, think... stuff like that. So. I think this is where a digital rule set would dodge so many of these oh, yeah. problems and that GW is legitimately concerned about or like player engagement from new players is an issue because this is a high investment game to get into already and putting even more hurdles in the way is a big problem. But 
uh, digital updates would solve a lot of that because there'd be no more like, oh, that's the old edition of the rule. You need the new edition. Right. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, the digital updates, and that's that was kind of my final point, my little bow on the on the present. Um, and I'm not bad mathing. I think in general, GW did a phenomenal job. But um, the bow on the uh, chapter approved hate, I guess you could call it, is simply it showed us what we really wanted or what we really needed. And it took GW three years to finally say, "We heard you. We heard you, ladies and gentlemen. We're going to get an app." We don't know what's going to be on it yet. There's definitely going to be something. You're definitely going to be able to build an army list. It's going to be it on my might phone. Have FAQs. Is it, is it, it might not yeah. come out for iPhone. No. Um, <laughs> it, it might disappear from the Apple Store like our dice rolling app. But we're, yes. come, we're bringing it. You know, and I felt like uh, they were probably a year or two late. Not too late, but they are probably a year or two behind on that announcement. I would have liked something similar to what they did with the Sisters of Battle release, where they're like, mm. okay, we understand that chapter proof sucks, but it's a stopgap. We're working on an app that all of you want, that's gonna make, that's gonna take all of your problems away. Also, here's some cool sisters, and we're gonna update you the entire year while it gets developed. Which is something yeah. they can do. But arguably, I would say that I think the app is more important than Plastic, Sixth, Plastic Sisters. It depends on who you ask. Uh, I think the Sisters players have been uh, just, waiting quite a like, while for this. <laughs> I just heard thousands of Sisters Rage players screaming yeah. at yeah. <laughs> on, like, honestly, They definitely failed their active faith rules. <laughs> <laughs> honestly, the thing that I think would have sold me more on Chapter Approved, and Pablo, you kind of touched on this earlier, is if it had more non-points content in it. Um, because the old chapter approves from way back in the day, which if you didn't know, they, it, it used to be a thing back in like third and fourth edition as well. Um, but if they had more fluff in there, if they had more kind of weird rules like the vehicle design rules, uh, or other stuff like that, um, I think I would be more on board with it because it would feel like, okay, what you're buying is this yearly update thing, but it also comes with a bunch of toys in it that you can play around. And no, you won't be able to use most of those toys in your competitive games, but this isn't, you know, the competitive part of the, the book is the points values. The fun part of the book is all of this other weird stuff that you can try out with your yeah. friends. Well, that's why I, I the agree. latest one, they split it up, right? There was like two books, you bought the one thing, but you got two. You had like the competitive, yes. yeah. like, all the points, and they had the funsies, like, here's for you narrative players, and then yeah. Right. Us competitive players were like, ooh, points. <laughs> yeah, and then so if you were a, if you were a narrative player and you had a competitive buddy, you just split it with him. But uh, and, and Sean, I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I always thought, and I never said this, but I always thought that they should have just put the FAQ changes in chapter approved. Like how I understand, yeah. I understand that that they want chapter approved to be this lean, mean points machine book. But, uh, you know, like, what's a 100, they already have 100 page, 200 page books. What's a book, 100 page book where you split all of all of the points changes and all of the FAQs by faction and then just throw that in there. Just the, be like, okay, boom, here's the Astro Militarum section. Here's all the FAQs changes to the codex. You can slap a little overly on it, make it look fancy, make it look like you can just cut it out and paste it into your codex. And then the points changes. I, and then... Not I, just like go ahead. I was gonna say I think the problem with that is that um, it runs even deeper into the oh no that's the wrong version of that problem because like they update yeah. the FAQs pretty consistently so at that point, that's a good point you would be like okay I have my rule book I have my FAQ I'm good and then it's like oh no. No, they updated that online, so there's a different, different version of the FAQ update that is more updated than your updated version, and you're you're behind the times again. Sorry. Um, I think that would be a, like a double feel bad moment for a lot of people who are not like dedicating twenty or thirty hours a week to trying to keep up with the game. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um. I didn't really think about that. Uh, anyways, uh, let, let's go ahead and uh, move move forward on this uh, eighth edition hmm. talk. So I want to talk about what was your experience like with the community in eighth edition. So we talked about GW, we talked about the game, the rules. Um, 
What about eighth the eighth edition community, the players? Um, did you like or dislike? Did you notice that was there any change at all? Um, but in that regards, either either one of you. I think the the community itself. There were two parts to that. Number one, in terms of the rule set, it meant going to tournaments or the, the ITC and the explosion of the tournament scene made it a lot more accessible to people. And like every store everywhere was running like ITC events. So it became a lot more mainstream. The second thing is it's sort of been like the social mediafication of competitive play with live streams and event coverage becoming more and more. Uh, prevalent throughout the the game, so not only has it improved sort of like the the footprint of the game, it's also made it more visible, and therefore people have uh, and the people at tournaments have become. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges, so you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. Like, I just, I just feel like it's become like a lot of more, a lot of a very healthy environment at a competitive scene. Like, you know, constantly you have people constantly being like, hey, you know, like go to events, have fun, you know, learn the game, you know, play people from different places around the world. And it's really become, it's really sort of globalizing and making a sense of community uh, more than it has ever. And that's leading to positive, positive people meeting positive people at events. And I like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also we it's become high profile enough thanks to the sort of social media and all the other resources out there that like there are recognizable people in the 40k community you can sort of like talk about the faces um that people will know um and i think that's a development of like the size of the community and how connected it's become and how many people are contributing to it because you can really pick out those people and say like oh yeah that guy i know him you know he's the one who organizes that gigantic tournament um and and that and that really is a sign of how much the community has developed uh, yeah, I agree with you, and and um, I'm going to be honest with you all. <laughs> I asked that question so I could soapbox a little, um, because, <laughs> um, and also I might get a little emotional here uh, because the Eighth Edition community, the the community of Warhammer lovers, Age of Sigmar and 40k, um, in Eighth Edition was probably and still is probably my favorite community to be a part of. Uh, we had. Not only, um, not only did we have from a tournament side, we had this all this big growth. Um, we saw all of the tournament organizers, people who have been who have been largely distant from each other, largely separate, all get together. Most of them became playtesters. They all started collaborating together, really helping each other out, helping each other out with advice, with equipment. Yeah, it, it, that was great, right? Because that's that's competitive 40k. That's that's what I love. But also on this other side, you had this community really get together um you had bigger names uh get into warhammer 40k uh, you had more podcasts pop up uh and then that led to amazing amount of support around tragic things uh that we got that we came together around as a community like think like uh uh the brands company um mm-hmm. when uh uh mr brand young you know young kid passed away from cancer he was a big space wolves fan uh, we kind of all rallied around him as com- as a community. Uh, we supported him while he was alive, and then uh, when he passed away, we we supported his family and we, we stood there for them. We had the the four brand uh, Facebook icon that we had, uh, and then last year as well, like when Jeff passed away, uh, I uh, rest in peace, buddy. By the way, it's going to be almost a year, and I can't I can't believe it. Yeah. But uh, th- there were so many people that all basically put aside their little petty differences and and. You know, Jeff, he was, to me, he was an amazing guy. Love him to death. Um, but he did, he was uh, divisive. He, you know, he was very, very blunt, straight to the point. And just because of the way this community works, uh, it is very clicky. Um, it is, you know, it is, uh, there are people who who uh, kind of stick to their own and do their own thing. And that's totally cool. But 
But when that happened, when Jeff passed away, every single person in the community, you know, uh, rallied together, you know, talked about how much they missed him. Even people who who had, you know, like a few weeks before that had, you know, talked shit about him on a podcast, right? Or like um, <laughs> people who, who weren't necessarily uh, didn't know anything about the competitive scene or the competitive 40K um, who just, you know, watched Warhammer community for the, the fluff articles. Um, everyone really banded together. and re- I never felt more like I was a part of a bigger family than that moment. And if I had to give the 8th edition community or the 40K community in 8th edition a rating, it would definitely be a 10 out of 10 um, because overall the toxicity level went a lot down, but the community and the support all went up like sky high. Anyways, so that's it. No, I think yeah, that's actually... Good. Well said. Well said. Yeah, it's that's a really good point because like the reason we all kind of play this game is the community at the end of the day. Like the game is fun and the rules are okay and the 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 world is interesting and all of that, but uh it is the people that we're like we're really kind of playing the game for, the the chance to meet people and share something with them. Um and 8th has done as we've already said so much for that. It's really brought the community together and strengthened it in a way that I don't think any other edition ever really has. Absolutely. All right. I think it's good to end it on that note. Uh, We talked about the rules. Well, we didn't talk about the rules so much, but I didn't really want to talk about the rules anyways. We we all know, besides there's so many 8th edition rules. There's so many. There's one or two of them. So many rules changes, so many metas. Um, Overall, you, you know, I think... I think we can look back on 8th edition positively. We might not look on the Castellan or the Adeptus Custodius Grav Tank, the Caladius Grav Tank, or Space Marines as lovingly as we do the edition. Um, but overall, you know, there's a reason why people say uh, the Golden Era. We were reaching a Golden Era before Space Marines. And that's because we really were. We, you know, that, that spring before Space Marines came out, um, was probably the best time to start playing 40k. It was so, so, so good. Um, it, and then, you know, from there, kind of took a turn for the worse, but um, overall, I think... And what happened is the Dreadnought from Dawn of War just busted through the wall and started <laughs> mowing us all down. I have come to destroy your fun. <laughs> yeah. In a good um, way, in a good way. I play Space Marines too, so I'm totally one of you, okay? Just <laughs> Um, anyways, uh, let me know what you all think in the comments. I know I asked this at the beginning of the episode, but I will remind you in case uh, in case you missed it. Um, let me know what you think in the comments. Go to YouTube, FrontlineGaming.org. What, what did 8th edition mean to you? Was it your favorite edition? Was it your least favorite edition? What did you hate about it? What did you like about it? Uh, I'd love to talk about this and have an open conversation about it. I think it's important, especially in a game like this, uh, to think and look back on the past uh, and reflect on that. Uh, because this game is constantly improving, and our dream is to one day take it to a level that currently we're not at. So uh, let me know, get get your introspection hats on, uh, and you know, get, keep those conversations polite. All right, uh, <laughs> if you're unfamiliar with this podcast, at the end of every episode, we like to open the floor to the patrons, where the patrons get to ask us questions um, about whatever. Sometimes it has to do with the topic. Sometimes it doesn't have to do with anything at all. Uh, we answer them live here, so if that was something that interests you, in addition to all of the fun giveaways and exclusive content we put out, and you want to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash chapterdactics. Alright, so first things first, first patron question goes to Mr. Tim. Uh, how did 8th change the community for the better and for the worse? <laughs> I think we just mm, talked about it. I wonder. What, what? I think I think the answer may lie about thirty minutes that way. <laughs> um, yeah. So so here's an interesting. <laughs> Tim, we did answer your question. I apologize, buddy. But um, did did the did is there anything about Eighth Edition that changed the community for the worse? Um, see what Pablo did was he read your question, had us answer it on the podcast, and now he's having to go back. Um, oh, I don't. I don't. <laughs> Pre, I, I don't pre-scan these questions. Uh, I just, I, unless they're really, I just you read them right as I'm about to read them. <laughs> if you want Pablo to read something funny on air, you oh, I definitely can be Bart Simpson uh, doing a prank call. <laughs> I definitely have. A, anyways, um, but but uh, obviously, um, uh, that aside, was there anything about Eighth Edition um, that you think maybe made the community worse, or I guess Space Marine players? But you know, 
They always I make the community I, worse. Until there was, I, I think um, something that really did happen was there was a time where there was like there was no shits given if you didn't have your stuff painted, and and it kind of like devolved to a stage where like some of the stuff that we were seeing were people trying to be really competitive and bringing like the weirdest like proxies and stuff to tournaments to try and like win the games playing like with the most crazy like random like coffee cups drop pods or whatever style stuff um and i think that was like that brought the worst in people in that sense we like they the the new flavor of the week meta list or whatever it kind of forced people to try and adapt so quickly at such a high rate that it that it really sort of like had people kind of like really cut corners when it came to like the hobby aspect and it took a while for people to be like okay foot down that is not a chaplet dreadnought. That is a freaking potato <laughs> head on a dreadnought base, for example. Yeah, the the speed that the meta was changing at, it was good that GW was fixing problems that quickly, but it was it was causing people to have to abandon lists so so rapidly that uh, it it definitely became like nigh impossible to keep up with at a couple of points. Yeah. Yeah. That that's fair. Those are fair criticisms. And I would even argue that those might even be holdouts uh, from seventh edition. Um, but yeah, the, the, the competitive community definitely stepped up in terms of uh, people playing and being competitive and all the positives and negatives were that would be associated with that did come into fruition. All right. Uh, next question from Mr. Patron Nathaniel. Uh, what do you think the greatest impact is that Ninth has had on the hobby and will or will not be carried on into Ninth? Uh, I'm sorry. What do you think the greatest impact is that Eighth Edition has had on the hobby and will not, will or will not be carried on into Ninth Edition? So greatest impact and will we see it in Ninth? Greatest impact in the hobby? Um, I think I guess it's the game in general. Like yeah, 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 yeah. The hobby yeah, encompassing yeah. the game in general. Yeah. The greatest impact, to be honest, has been how globalized 40k has become. In in terms of like it has, you know, in the the, the three years of Eighth Edition, I have learned more about the way that people play 40k all over the globe than I ever have. And it's mm-hmm. and it's incredible that you could literally look at a spreadsheet and be like, well, let's take a look at the what the lists are in Australia, or you know, let's take a look at what's happening in Europe. And more and more, it's sort of like creating a global 40k community instead of such a regionalized like isolated series of communities yeah i think i think for my part um the the depth of consideration for what the rules mean for the players is a huge thing uh looking at and saying like okay here's how we're changing this rule this is how it's going to affect people and then that's going to have sort of the knock-on effect of doing this as well. Uh, stuff like removing Overwatch as a, a general thing. It's like, it's not just about the direct game effect, it's also about how that game effect affects everything else you do in the game, and all of that sort of thing. Um, I, I think that is a really important thing, because this game is so complex. You can't just consider those, like, first-level changes. You have to look at how it echoes down to other places in the game. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually think, and, and this might, this is a little bit negative, and I'm sure this is going to raise some controversy in the comments, but I actually think the biggest impact that 8th Edition had was the Space Marine Codex. Now, metas impact 40k for years like think about the great people still talk about the fifth edition gray knights how powerful they were matt yeah. ward is an entire meme unto himself because of it right so with this space marines came out we're, we're talking about them they're overpowered the their ninth edition isn't going to change them especially if eighth edition was any indicator factions don't get fixed over an edition they have to get fixed in codexes and over time Space Marines, the Space Marine being this powerful, is going to have a lasting impact on the game. Now, whether it's going to be yeah. super negative or super positive, I don't know. But in terms of impact, we're going to be talking about Space Marines like 10 years down the road. People are going to be like, oh, Space Marines are OP. And you're like, well, was 2020 the last time you played Warhammer 40K? And they're like, yeah, how did you know? 
you're like, well, you know, Space Marines were good back then. Um, and it's not just going to come out in the game. It's also going to come out in, in media. Uh, for, uh, they're going to see these bloated Space Marine sales, more bloated than they already were. Space Marines were already selling phenomenally well. Uh, but GW is going to look at these bloated Space Marine sales and think, well, I guess we got to make more lieutenants. Clearly, <laughs> Space Marines, <laughs> people love Space Marines, so keep up, you know, eventually we'll have a 50th anniversary lieutenant where it's the 50th anniversary of, uh, it's the 50th lieutenant of all the Space Marine Primaris lieutenants. Um, uh, but joking aside, I think it's going to be have an impact on their future IP, their media, what they, they give us content-wise, and how people perceive the the whole idea of 40k as a whole. Um, you know, if you think that Space Marines is a poster child now, you know, just wait. Wait a year or two from now when, when they're still the most powerful faction, and uh, GW thinks that Space Marine sales drive, and, not, and and maybe they do, right? Because they're very powerful. Newer players will gravitate towards Space Marines more, which means new players will buy Space Marines and be more interested in Space Marine content, right? So they'll they'll naturally want to read about the the models they just bought, right? So Space Marine books uh, that are new are going to come. Anyways, that's that's my biggest impact. I, that was a long winded answer, but um, <laughs> you know, I, I got a bone to pick. Um, okay, uh, next question, patron Ant. Wants to know, at the start of 8th, what was the biggest change from 7th you disagreed with and agreed with? So, um, what was the biggest change from eighth to, from 7th to 8th that you both disagreed with? Because I think we talked about the change, though, that we liked. Now, what did I disagree with when it came to 8th edition? You know, when to, I, <laughs> to be honest, when I looked at 8th edition, I was like, thank effing goodness I don't have to play against Riptide Wing anymore. Like I, I was, or uh. that, or that I, you know, uh, I just, I think one of the biggest controversies was like characters not being able to join units anymore, right? But I mean, not mm -hmm. not having to play Riptide Wing or not having to play against, you know, a million free rhinos or like I man, that was like when I jumped into Eighth Edition, full blown. They, there was nothing you tell me that was bad about eighth. I just jumped into it. And I was like, "This is not seventh, yay!" Yeah, I, I mean, I agree with Scary. <laughs> you know, I, going from seventh to eighth edition, I had no, I had almost no qualms. Um, the index, I guess, something that maybe had a small concern with was the removal of the models that I had made, like like the space like the Chaplin on bike or the command squad mm -hmm. on bikes. But even at the beginning of the edition you had them and GW was like up front, they were like, hey look, these aren't gonna stick around. So like like, you know, have fun with them in the index, but but they're gonna go away. And so I was like, okay. Like that sucks, but you know, like thank you for the warning, GW. I'll sell them on right. eBay. I think, um, I think, uh, you know, okay, in, in, in hindsight, something that was a little like at the beginning of 8th edition was everything was really bland. So uh, it was like, you know, your hero gave you reroll once. Your yeah. this gave you, so it was like, there was, there was not really any flavor when the indexes came out. And I think that would be like the only thing. Like it was a stopgap until they started like releasing codexes. However, mm -hmm. if there was anything, it was like, okay, oh, is that your hero that, that rules once? Yes, this is my hero that rules once. You know, was, <laughs> <laughs> that was, unless you were Gulliman, in which case it was ridiculous, but yeah. yeah. I think the one thing that I was not a big fan of um, was not the actual removal of universal special rules, because those were kind of a mess, um, but the 900 different variations of the same rule, which all had a little bit different wording. Um, you know, yeah. <laughs> you can reroll ones versus you must reroll ones versus uh. you can reroll ones in the shooting phase versus you can reroll ones for models within six inches versus, you know, and the, they're all really the same ability, but they're all just different enough that they will catch you off guard. Um, that could be very frustrating. Oh yeah, I mean that's fair. That's that's a really fair. And and in seventh edition, as bloated and messy as seventh edition was, um, you know things. There were universal special rules. There were, you know, like the, something had something. This rule, that's what it was. That was there was no question about it. 
Um, you know, uh, but anyways, that's it. That's all the patron questions. There weren't a lot this week. Um, that was mostly my fault, but, uh, anyways, if you're interested in that, you can support the podcast, you know, shoot us a, a subscription over on Patreon. Also, Scary, if you're interested in listening to him, Scary, where can they find you? You can find me on YouTube at Scodcast on YouTube. We do battle reports, and as soon as ninth hits, you can expect a whole bunch of cool ninth edition stuff, like how to play ninth edition and tactics videos and a whole bunch of stuff. Just just stay tuned. It's gonna be it's gonna be intense. I'm not gonna sleep. It's gonna be great. <laughs> right on. Uh, and then Sean, um, are there any plugs you want to give away? Give up. Uh, I'm still doing writing for Frontline, so you can check out all my articles there. I do uh, a weekly piece of some kind or another, usually on a specific unit or faction. Uh, and once Ninth really starts, you know, we start seeing some some more re- actual rules. We are going to be starting up uh, in the finest hour again, um, but we're we're kind of on hiatus right now, so there's not a lot to see there at the current moment. Perfect. And then one final shout out: uh, if you're interested into the uh, the Honest War Gamer on Twitch, I've been streaming there on weekends. I've also been streaming live uh, video games uh, randomly on weekends to patrons and on Discord. Um, that's been a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're, if you're interested in any of that, head on over to the Honest War Gamer. Rob has been streaming every single day since this began. His, his stream streak is on the hundred day, one hundred and thirty, which just shows how long we've been doing, what, how long we've you know had to deal with COVID. Um, so it, it's super cool. Help him keep that stream streak alive. Go check out the Honest War Gamer on Twitch, uh, and also maybe you can play some games with us or watch us play games and have a great time. That is all. Thank you all for listening. You are all, of course, the best listeners in the world. And as always, have a good one.